episode 105 of the Cinefessions podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name's Brandon Chowan. And returning to the fray this evening is our Canadian brethren, Mark Nadeau. Mark, how's life been these past six weeks? It feels weird not uh, being on the podcast for over a month. <laughs> right. I- I'm hoping that I remember how to speak properly. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping to announce during the whole podcast and uh, not speak too fast. Um, it- it's like I'm I'm podcasting with water wings right now. I just want to. <laughs> it's like Ash versus Evil Dead episode ten all over again. All over again. I don't know. What <laughs> Uh, fortunately, you were a fucking natural when you started, so I have no uh, no faith that jumping back on the bike is going to be easy for you tonight. Oh, so. no added pressure. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> None whatsoever. Well, I, I know I speak for everyone. I say that we are very glad to have you back home here on the podcast, so thanks for joining me tonight. I missed it. Unf- I really missed oh, yeah. it. This is fun. Good. And we missed to talk you. movies, so. Exactly. So, unfortunately, Ash is in the process of attempting to move from one house to another. And because of that, his life is just uh, crazy hectic right now. So, he unfortunately has to take some time off from the podcast so that he can focus on getting all of that shit done. So, Ash, we'll miss you, buddy. And we can't wait to have you back on the show as soon as you are able. In the meantime, though, that means that uh, Mark and I here Mm -hmm. are going to be your entertainment for the next month or so. So, God help you all. Yeah. We'll do what we can. Though. And if you have uh, donations to give us, um, you can PayPal it. I'll print off the mm-hmm. receipt and put it in my G-string. There you- oh. How do- He'll take pictures. How do I entertain you, daddy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I miss you guys. So, I know. And us, you. <laughs> so, tonight we are- I'm super excited. We are kicking off a brand new arc, Mm -hmm. and it's unlike anything we've ever done here on the podcast so far. We're calling it the Corman Poe Cycle, and with it, we're going to look at all eight films that Roger Corman adapted from Edgar Allan Poe's short stories. And seven of the eight, they happen to star Vincent Price. So, I mean, this arc is just going to be a hell of a lot of fun and very different from what we're normally talking about on the show. So hopefully you guys are as excited about it as we are. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm excited to kick this off. We're also going to move on to round 35 of the Best Thing, the Backlog Challenge. Mark, are you hyped? I'm so hyped. Buck, yeah. I, I can, always I stay tell. hype. That's right. <laughs> yeah, actually, oh, in, uh, the in preparation for the show tonight, um, I bleached my hair blonde like uh, Vincent Good. Price did in uh, House of Usher. Um, I should probably rinse it out. Right now, I smell burning, but now we're recording, so I'll have to wait till later. Right, yeah, absolutely. So if you hear sizzling, it's not bacon, it's my follicles. <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, let's get some housekeeping out of the way here and uh, talk about social media and how you can follow us outside of just listening to the podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Cinefessions. You can email us at contact at Cinefessions.com. You can leave us a voicemail if you want to be part of an upcoming show at 1-302-448-TALK. That's one 1- 302-448-8255. You can follow us on Instagram at Cinefessions. You can follow us on YouTube at Cinefessions. Basically, if it's a social media that's worth being on, you can follow us at Cinefessions on that platform. Definitely follow Instagram. Mark Poyutos, tons of reviews there and media pickups. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've just been rocking that even while you've been gone. So thank you for that. It's always uh, it's always worth reading. So that's awesome. And don't forget to swipe right on Tinder at Cinefessions. 
Or do you like us? Send us a That's super true. like. Only Absolutely. two a day. Boom, baby. <laughs> All right. And you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Cinefessions, and talk, check out our long list of past reviews and all 105 podcast episodes right over at Cinefessions.com. And if you're a fan of the show, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a review on iTunes. We uh, have not gotten any reviews on there in a while, and uh, we miss it. We like hearing things from you guys on iTunes reviews, so definitely do that. Help us get uh, ranked in there and all that fun stuff that helps us reach a broader audience. So we really appreciate you guys taking the time to do that, and so please do if you haven't already. It'd be nice to get ranked. Hell yes, it would. We just we, we just need five reviews, right? Yeah, exactly. Five reviews, and then we'll have a, an official star rating, and we are two away from that. So, Like – I could put a review up on my own podcast, but that's not right. I want <laughs> that legit might be reviews. a bad look. Yeah, yeah, that's not right. <laughs> so they have to do it for us. Yes, please. Absolutely. All right. So I, uh, I know you probably have a ton of things to talk about, and that's fantastic. <laughs> so I'm going to jump in because I don't have too terribly much. Um, okay. So I'm trying to remember. You and I talked last. Um, mm-hmm. I was signing up for I don't know I I I think we talked about Movie Pass and how I was thinking about signing up for it. Well, the episode I did with Chris, I made a commitment. You know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sign up for it. So that night I did, and okay. then finally, three weeks later, I received my card. So last Thursday, Friday, I received my card. Now I have not gotten to activate it. I haven't gotten to use it yet, but I do have it. Um, and the my 30 days have not even started yet because I haven't activated the card. And what does that give you again? You get to go to the theater one time every day and see a movie of your choice. That's pretty Ten sweet. Bucks a month. Yeah. That's very sweet. I don't know if they offer it in Canada. Honestly, I, I have no idea. Probably doubt it. Yeah, probably not. But um yeah, so I will I'm I'm off all of next week for our anniversary celebration. Okay. And so um we are definitely going hopefully going to take advantage of that to see at the very least it. But I really want to see Mother, the new Darren Aronofsky film, because I've heard yeah. so many fucked up things about it. And mm-hmm. I just – I love uh, Jennifer whatever. Uh, Aniston. No. Thank you. J-Law. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> so, um, yes. And uh, definitely want to check that one out. But I will keep you guys updated. I just wanted to let you know that I did finally receive my card. So, uh, And now, is this accepted in all theaters or a certain chain? You know, it's not accepted everywhere, accepted at most theaters. Okay. So that was my big concern because there's – I have a, a significant amount of theaters around me, but there's really one that I use a lot because they have like the really nice seating. It's it's a new one, yeah. just opened less than a year ago. Like I love that one and it's close enough, but it wasn't on – so I couldn't find a way to look up which theaters actually used it on the website on my phone. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was able to get to the website on my computer to actually see which ones they were. And I had my um, Brad Henderson, who you guys will probably know from the Screamcast. Yeah. I had him because he purchased it or whatever. And I had him send a screenshot of which theaters accept it in using my zip code. Well, he sent it and there was only one theater on there that was close to me. And it was one that I don't – I can use it. It's fine. And I've heard they have new seating and everything, but I just haven't. And so I was like, oh, that's disappointing. But then I realized the reason they do that is because they sort it weird. They sort it by ticket by e- – t- by theaters that accept e-tickets. Okay. And then the rest of them. And so what that means is if you do e-tickets, basically you, you never have to pick up a physical ticket. Yeah. It's all in your app. But if you do the other types of theaters, you have to just go and like use the app or use your card at the kiosk to then pick up your physical ticket. Yeah, okay. So it's not a big deal. But 
those are listed after the fact. And so the ones I use all the time actually are on there. And so the ones I use, I every basically all the theaters around me that I would ever consider using, I can use it at. And so that's I'm lucky in that sense. I still don't understand how this company is going to make any money because if I understand correctly, mm-hmm. is that the, so you use the card at the movies, right? You, you mm-hmm. but you don't pay anything because you get your free movie a day. Right. But then the theater charges the company for your admission. Oh, do they? Well, that's what I, that's what I understood. So that the okay. theater isn't losing any cash, right? Because they're reporting all ticket sales back to uh, this uh, movie company, right? Yeah. So how are well, how is this movie company yeah. making any money? Is it on just ad sales on the website and whatever apps they use, or like I, yeah, I don't get I mean, their model. I, I don't understand. I, you're exactly right, and I don't know. All I know is that AMC is trying to get out of it. They like are suing MoviePass because they say that it's just not a like sustainable business. Basically, but at the same time, um, and it's going to screw them over. AMC is but, making money per ticket, like they normally. But that's that's why I'm not sure if they are because they are they want out of it, and so that's my thought. If that's how it's working, then why would they want well, out? To of me, it? it makes no sense to pay ten bucks a month and get a free like to go to a movie a day. I would go mm-hmm. to a movie on every day off I had instead of like cramming three yeah. in in a day. I would go regularly. To I the feel movies. like. They're counting on people not using it. I feel like it's the only thing I can come That's up with. That's something I can think of as well. Or again, with ad sales, maybe, you know, when you print off your ticket, right, maybe. there's an ad at the bottom of the page or some stupid thing. And- that could be. Um, you know, and, and like I said, frankly, I, if I don't really, it doesn't matter because it's not my company. Yeah. If I can only use this for a couple months, then so be it. I've paid 20 bucks to see however many movies I can fit in. You know exactly. what I mean? Oh, totally. Um, but I, but absolutely, I, I am interested. I'm just being a smart ass when I say mm-hmm. that, but, um, basically my thought is write it until it's write it until we oh, can't, sure. you know what I mean? Dead. For this situation. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to try to do, but hey, I really need to see it. And so that I'm definitely seeing, and I really want to see mother. So I'll probably see that, uh, when I get some free time sure. next week, but yeah, so I'm excited. Um, other than that, I felt there was something else I was going to mention that was kind of along those lines, but well, you've been playing that. Madden has escaped me yeah and so i'll I'll move on to that so madden 18 is yep continuing in that um i've actually started uh the long shot uh the story mode basically of madden 18 and um you know i'm kind of i want to save my thoughts for because i want to do a kind of a a video review on that for youtube um after it's completed um and i have but i do have some interesting uh, I, i did take some interesting takeaways from it um which i'll i'm gonna save those though if that's okay so i'm gonna do that um, I'm about, fi- I'm 55% of the way through that. So I should finish that this weekend, assuming that I have the time, which I should. And so I'm hoping to finish that soon. Um, other than that though, I listened. So the other day I had to do a bunch of yard work. And so I was like, you know, what? I don't feel like listening to music. I've listened to a bunch of podcasts that I've wanted to listen to recently. So I was like, yeah, let me, let me try renting a book from Hoopla, H-O-O-P-L-A, which you can connect with your local a library card and you can rent digital books, audio books, movies on the app for free okay. uh, up to so however many your library allows per month. Like mine allows eight free per month. And so I decided to search for um, audio books while I was mm-hmm. working and they have a bunch of Goosebumps audio books, which – have did you ever read the Goosebump books when you were younger or is that not No, something? because I was reading Stephen King pretty young. So I okay. kind of bypassed all that stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, I started uh, like my basically my love for horror was probably, you know, from 
that has a very big impact on why I still love Horror Today were were R.L. Stein's Goosebumps series. I love them. I collected them. Always have always had to have a new one when my mom my mom took me to you know Target or Borders bookstore when way back when. Um, and so I love those. And uh, anyway, so this was one that I hadn't read. Say Cheese and Die, which is a pretty popular one because it's a I think it's like the number four in the series or whatever. So it's an early one. And uh, listen to that in its entirety. And it was a lot of yard work. It was only like two hours long, though. And, um, you know, I thought that was a pretty good book. Um, not my favorite of the Goosebumps series of, that I've read so far. Um, but uh, I thought it was pretty well done. The narrator, his voice, it almost reminded me of like, I don't know the guy's name, but have you ever watched Unsolved Mysteries? Yeah, Robert Stack. Yes. It reminded me of a poor man's Robert Stack at points. That's the kind of like smoky voice that he had. And it just didn't feel right for a, you know, a, a, a book that's based on characters that are like eight to 10 years old or however old they are, you know? So just that kind of felt sure. odd, but um, otherwise, I mean, it's, it's an interesting story. R.L. Stein, I think is, is a very strong author. I really enjoy his work. And so, um, you know, even though this is obviously intended for children, um, I still enjoy it. Um, and then, Something on the complete opposite spectrum, definitely not intended for children. I listened to "I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream." Have you ever read that or listened oh, man, to that? That one sounds at all? familiar. Uh, yeah, no, it's, um, I don't think I have. Robert Heinlein, right? Uh, uh, no, Harlan okay. Ellison. Excuse me, I knew that. I don't know why I was thinking. Okay, Harlan okay, Ellison. Re- I've read some of his stuff. But I haven't read that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's um, man. So there's actually a video game based off it, which uh, my own on PC. And that's, um, I don't know if that's how I heard about it or if I heard about the game or the book first and then saw the movie or the game. I'm not sure. But this is mm-hmm. one I've always wanted to read. And so the other day I had to go out and get my oil changed. And so I was like, you know, let me put this on, see how it is. I found it on YouTube, you know, on there streaming for free. And that was fucking excellent. Like it is fantastic. So the language that Ellison uses is just so ah, it's it punches you in the gut. It's vivid. It's a very brutal story. Um, like it is incredibly memorable. And the audiobook version of it, I, I don't know the narrator's name. I feel like an ass now because he was so into it. It was he was putting on a performance. It was like watching a radio. It was like listening to a radio play. Like it was Robert Stack. Fantastic. It was not. No, that no, definitely okay. was not. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was fantastic. So I know, um, you know, some people don't listen to audiobooks. That's, that's totally fine. And normally I, frankly, I don't listen to too many audiobooks, but when I'm driving, obviously I can't read. And so I figured this would be a good way to listen. And mm-hmm. this specifically, the audiobook version of this, I think is definitely worth a listen and you can find it for free on YouTube. Uh, so check that out if you haven't and that's something you're interested in. But if this is like a science fiction, um, post-apocalyptic horror short story and it's only like 45 minutes long. Like it's not a long short story, obviously, um, but it won't take you long to listen to it. And even if you don't want to listen to it, if you want to read it, read it. It is, it's fucking fantastic. Um, do you ever spend any time with short stories at all, or do you just do novels? Honestly, I tend to do more novels. I, I mm. find short stories. I'm always. It's like it's like I'm missing something because a lot of short okay. stories are at least the ones I've read kind of mm. end a little vague on purpose with short story, or yeah. I, I want more and there's not more to give to me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm usually disappointed when I read short stories. Again, it's been okay. years. I used to collect these um, these uh, complete uh, shorts, like horror shorts of 2000 something, or like it was like volume. Oh yeah, you know? I got so many of those. Yeah, and uh, I always I always found them lacking something, so I stopped. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I've stopped reading books almost altogether. You know, I had posted about it months ago. While well, I'm still reading it, it is a long book. But yeah, my, oh, yeah, my book reading has severely diminished in the last like three or four years. So that's maybe okay. something I'd like to challenge myself next year. But uh, oh, I like it. I already think of the next year's challenges. Yeah, because well. I can't wait for this year's to end. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I don't read enough, and uh, my short story uh, portfolio is very thin. Okay. Yeah, see, I love short stories, and I think it's because I have such a short, like, fucking attention span. Okay. Um, like, you know, I just want to ha- – I want to be able to finish it all in a short amount of time, you know? And so I very, very rarely read a novel, mm-hmm. um, and I just – I prefer, like, short stories. But um, this one, even if you're not a short story reader, and that's totally understandable, I think this one is still worth seeking out. Um, it is just – it's – it's fantastic. It's it's really well written. You know, there's um and uh, I definitely want to check out more of Harlan Ellison's stuff now. There's one book of short stories. I think it's all written by the same writer. Give me two seconds. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna run to my bookcase. It, I, I remember yeah. reading it. Oh man, years ago. Okay. And I still think about it. Give me two seconds. Just uh... so the book. It's called The Language of Fear by Del James. Okay. Um, apparently, one of his stories inspired the Guns N' Roses November Rain video. Oh. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll read the back of the blur really quickly here. Or the back of the book, sorry. Uh, Del James unleashes an extraordinary collection of snapshots from hell. Our hell. Here are spine-tingling stories of everyday people, all caught up in terrible urges. Sex and obsession, addiction and violence, all sharing the universal language of fear. A heavy metal dreamer locked in a savage war with his television set. <laughs> an artist seduced by a vampire. Two boys trapped by an urban legend come to life. Or a drug-induced nightmare. A modern-day gladiator engaged in a brutal death match. A rock and roll star who yearns to be with the one good woman he has ever known. And so ignites a mad blaze of destruction. Um, I should read this again because I remember really liking um, the way it was written. Okay. Um yeah, man, I don't know how long I've had this. I know I've passed my buddy Pat, who we tend to have similar uh, movie tastes, and yeah. he did not like the book. I did. I, man, I should reread it because I bought this years ago, oh, and okay. it's really good. And it's called The Language of Fear by Del James. I just added it to my – I just downloaded the sample to my phone app, my Kindle app on my phone. So I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, and let me know what you think. I yeah. uh, I'm actually might reread it now just because now that I've uh, dusted it off the bookshelf. So right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's like time. Stephen. When it comes to Stephen King, I have not read a Stephen King novel. I've only I've read tons of Stephen King short stories, but I've never actually read a novel of his. And so, Man. and actually, Chris and I were talking. We're like, okay, let's pick one. Let's read it together because he's only read a few of of King's novels. And he doesn't like any of the ones he's read. And so I was like, yeah. well, let's let's pick one, but. And like we we didn't own any of the same ones, and so it just it never we didn't end up finding one that we wanted to read together. But I got to do it when it comes when it comes to Stephen King. I loved him as a kid. Mm-hmm. Now being thirty eight years young, yeah, I'm liking him a lot less. Oh, okay. I'm finding it is a bit of a slag to yeah. get through. 
Um, and then I saw it. I'll talk about it when I get to it later yeah. on. Um, but ah, man, he's hack. <laughs> it's it, I I know people are gonna boo it, but I am finding that his work is a lot better when you've never read anything else. Oh, and okay. when you don't know as much in the genre as you know, and you think King is God, mm-hmm. um, you know you gotta appreciate him for what he's done. But if you reread some of his early work, it's not that good. Mm, Again, I expect a lot of flack from saying that comment, but that's how I feel right now. Yeah. I'm having a hard time going through it. It's not good. Have you, out of curiosity, have you read any of Peter Straub's work? I've got Ghost Story. Okay. That's the specific one I was going to want. Okay. Well, I bought it because I read, read, I saw the movie. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to read the book. So I actually was able to get like a 1970s version of the book because it's an old oh, book. Nice. It's a, Yep. And uh, maybe it's just me and I've been un, I've unlearned how to read a book properly, yeah. but I found that book a slog to read as well. Oh, did you? Yeah. You know, okay. uh, just going through the all four guys and it backs up with, with the, right. with the sun and yeah, I'm, uh, I had to put it down because I just couldn't get through it the first time I sat down to read it. Hmm. That one is, so it's a long ass book. And one summer, um, I decided, uh, while I was in grad school, I was going to check it out and I started it and I couldn't put it down. I I mean, it took me like the entire summer because I'm a slower, slower reader. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like I said, have, you know, ADD, so not really, but I just, I get distracted easily. And so, um, yeah, it took me the entire summer, but I ended up reading that one from cover to cover. And it's one of my favorite novels I've, I've ever read. I think it's fantastic. I just... So many moments, I can think of moments in there that just genuinely creeped me out. Uh, and that's, I, I love that. But. Well, one of my favorite books, at least it was back then, is The Stand by Stephen. And that's, I think, his oh, okay. thickest book. I read the, you know, unabridged version. It's like yeah. 1,100 pages, you know. Um, right. So I don't know now if I think about it as, you know, nostalgic because I liked it as a kid or if it's actually a good mm-hmm. book or not. I don't know anymore. Right. <laughs> um, I yeah. don't want to revisit it because... It'll probably take me a year to read at the pace that I'm reading <laughs> yeah, right now. Exactly. I did a lot of reading yep. in Quebec because there wasn't much to do on night shift. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I want to reread that because I remember loving Pit Cemetery, which was my first book of Stephen King. Um, I yeah. loved Salem's Lot and uh, I loved The Stand. And to a point, I really liked it. But again, reading it now, it's uh, it, it, it's kind of the magic has, has kind of evaporated from my system. Right. See, that's the thing. I got, I want to pick a book and just like, I, I just want to commit myself to like two chapters a week, you know, nothing, nothing serious, you know, nothing too much and just commit but, myself to it and, and, and get through it. Something. At the same time, like, are today's books any good? Like the, the big book that was a fury a few years ago that's being made into a motion picture right now is Ready Player One. I thought it was shit, <laughs> but it got such a following and I'm not sure why. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I have not, you've I've got, not read oh, that, but I know yeah, it's a huge following. But then you got the Harry Potter books, which mm-hmm. I adored. Of course, the first few yeah. books. I wa- I read them maybe five, six years ago now, maybe a little longer. The first few books are very childlike because, you know, J.K. Rowling wrote the story so that the reader at book one, who's like eight years old, grows with Harry, you know? So by like book right. four, it gets pretty awesome because it's a lot more mature. And by the mm-hmm. end, it's it's adult, you know? Um, so, mm-hmm. like, I'm thinking that's probably the best book series I've read in a long time. 
I need to open yeah. my horizons and not go back to the same writers all the time. Um, again, going back oh. to Stephen King, like his Stephen King's recent books, not a big fan of. Um, you know, mm-hmm. from from a Buick Eight, I didn't like at all. Um, he he wrote a short story. Uh, uh, selection short stories. I don't have my Kindle in front of me right now, um, but I really did not like. Um, I, I just, I just find his recent work isn't as good as his old stuff, and I'm realizing that his old stuff isn't that good. So was he really that good of a writer? <laughs> he was really the only big horror writer at the time, right? It was him and Koontz, but Koontz was yeah, like a, was... in a shadow. So right, yeah, he was. There right, is mainstream horror. Yeah, there is a book that I've noticed on my Twitter and on my Facebook. That just got released, and it's called Paperbacks. Oh, the from paperbacks! Hell. Yeah, yes, I want that so badly. So, so now the thing is, it's all about you know, uh, it's like a review book on like horror novels from the seventies and eighties. Which those novels yeah. back in the day, going to the library and being a small kid, those covers scared the yeah. shit out of me. So, yeah. I would like to get that book so that I can read up on stuff from the past. But then, if those mm-hmm. books are so hard to get now. <laughs> I don't want to start spending 40 right. bucks on a paperback. You know, that really isn't good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that um, I saw that this week. And I'm like, that looks pretty cool. Yeah. And see, what's interesting, uh, it, what's, well, I, what I think is interesting anyway, is that uh, probably my first big collection uh, mm-hmm. when I started um, collecting things was like recently, I guess I'll say, was paperback books like I, or books in general. I gathered, I bought so many books when I lived in West Virginia going to grad school. Um, and I was buying those before I really started buying Blu-rays because they yeah. only had a very small Blu-ray collection at that point. Mm-hmm. But I was buying books like mad and they had this used bookstore that I'd go to. And so that's what this book reminds me of because I would always look through the shelves and see all these old ass, you know, spines cracked on all these old books. Yeah. And that's how I learned so many of these authors that – I now own their books, but I still haven't read the fucking things because that's what I fucking do because I suck. But like these are all <laughs> things that I you know would like to get around to. Yeah. But this that book just looks awesome. And there's a website that I used to go to that was basically that book in a website. Um, that's like what he did. You know, he would talk about those covers from the 70s and 80s and things like that. And I was really fascinated by that website. And so I think this would be a really interesting book. And uh, it is in my cart on Amazon. I'm going to buy it. I'm just uh, waiting for payday to hit again. So, but I definitely want that one. So I want to check that out. Yeah. It's a few bucks, but I think it'd be a fun read. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like 15, right? Well, at least in the Amazon US, it's like 15-ish. Okay. Yeah. It's more than that in Canada, but okay. it speaks it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, I mean, yeah, that's my week. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about your, your life here. What's been going on? What have you yeah. watched? What have you done? I've seen 46 movies since I last podcast. So <laughs> I obviously oh my God. won't go through all of them. Right. Um, so uh, I, I don't even know where to begin, to be honest with you. I don't think I'm going to go that far deep, even though I've seen some pretty cool stuff. But uh, some of the stuff I've you know, reviewed on Instagram. I should have had you make um, like a top five list. You know, I should have. I should have <laughs> done something of that nature. But I'll, I'll go back uh, quickly here on maybe some stuff I've seen cinematically yeah. and the Instagram stuff. I'll, you know, we can talk about it when I, I, I post about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did go see it this week. I saw it in IMAX. And uh, I guess I'm getting old because I went to see it with Melissa. And I go to her and I'm like, man, it's really loud in this theater, huh? <laughs> like, it was 
really loud. Like, to a point where it was almost uncomfortably loud. Like, the audience members or, like, the theater itself? Like, the sound was up really high. The theater itself. Okay. Like, like it was really loud. Um, if I had fillings, they'd probably be rattling in my teeth. But I've got perfect teeth. <laughs> my oral hygiene is immaculate. Oh. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so that being said, so watching IMAX, um, I did not sip the same Kool-Aid as everybody else because I didn't really like it. Huh. Um, I won't – well, I, I could say why I won't, it won't ruin the film. Yeah, keep um, in mind, I, I didn't like the CGI. Oh, okay. I was just saying, keep in mind, I've not. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to ruin any plots for you or anything like that. Okay. Um, I, I just found the CGI really distracting, mm. um, especially like even in the first scene with uh, with uh, Georgie and uh, Pennywise in the sewer. Mm. Uh, I thought Pennywise's eyes looked almost like they were glowing. Um, so I don't know if they were CGI enhanced or not. To me, they looked enhanced. Uh, maybe my eyesight is going. I don't know, but I just I didn't work for me. It didn't click at all. Yeah. Um. Again, with 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 King, he does some creepy stuff. Um, and and not creepy like oh that's scary, but creepy like ah it's making me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. There's one scene in uh, I guess where they're all playing in the quarry and they're all in their underwear, you know, which I just found it kind of kind of weird. But I guess it's a bonding moment for all the all the friends together. Mm-hmm. And then Bev Marsh was there as well, and she was in her brunt panties. I'm like, she's what 13. I just felt kind of creepy watching that, and not in a good way. You know, it was right. like I'm being creeped out from a horror film is one thing, but just being kind of scuzzed out because I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I just I didn't appreciate that very much. Yeah. Um. I just it just made me feel uneasy. Um. And then uh, and then again some some other CGI and oh and then again. King loves to have his, you know, adolescent female characters. They tend to always be molested by their father in his books. So obviously we got a molesty dad in this movie. And was it needed? Did we need any more skis factor in the film with Pennywise and, you know, the kids dying? Not our characters, but just like in the story, you know, kids are disappearing. Um, it, to me, it just, it just felt unnecessary. And I, I'm pretty sure it was in the book as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, just, I don't know. Maybe I just, it, I just, maybe I felt off that day. I just didn't enjoy the film. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, I hope, I hope I don't have the same reaction. We'll see though. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you enjoy the skeeziness. <laughs> no. um, but you know, like, you know, I, I hope you do enjoy it. I won't mention some stuff I do like because I don't want it to ruin the surprise in the film. Okay. Or just like, just the way the scenes are done. Yeah. But there's a very cool, uh, well, I won't talk about it, but uh, some things I did like, I just didn't love this movie at all. Um, I didn't find it scary. I found it creepy, but then the CGI just kind of kills it for me. Mm. But how else are they supposed to do some things? You know, so I guess I'm being a bit, maybe a little elitist. I don't know, but Hey, I'm glad it's making a lot of money, you know, big R rated film, right. huge opening. So awesome. Maybe there'll be more of it. And if there's more, some might be better. So yay. Am I going to see chapter two? Uh, when it comes out, I will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just didn't like chapter one that much. So switching gears from not liking to really liking, uh, I saw a bunch of movies while I was in Montreal just because I only had a few days off and uh, I'm not much of a tourist when I'm by myself, you know, in the, in the different city. I don't like sightseeing alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to the movies and go. I saw a four pack of films that I really, uh, really enjoyed. All in one uh, day? No, in two days. Oh. 
okay. Oh, can you imagine? I know. Ugh, my feet would be turning blue by the lack of circulation. <laughs> um, so I'll go in reverse to the films I saw. So I finished off. I watched Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Um, it's a Luc Basson film, the guy who did uh, The Fifth Element. Right. And the producer of uh, Banlieue 13, or I guess in here uh, in the North America in English, would be District 13, which was remaked, or remade as Brick Mansions with Paul Walker. Mm-hmm. Horrible remake, but whatever. Rest in peace. <laughs> um, Valerian was actually really good. Hmm. Um, if you like Fifth Element, you will like this one. I... The film pretty much is that if you take the fifth element, you slap on some avatar, and then you maybe put like a the tail of labyrinth in it, and you mix it all together, and you get Valerian. So beautiful special effects. Uh, the CGI looked good. I saw it in IMAX 3D, so maybe it's because I saw it in that version that I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. My only gripe, my only grip of the film is the casting of the two lead actors in the film. Um, I'm just trying to pull up their information right now. Um, so in the film, you've got Valerian who plays a, um, a major in the army. And then you've got his partner. I uh, forget what her name is, but, um, she is the, the actress model that was the sorceress in Suicide Squad. So they're both mm-hmm. really young actors. Um, he plays a major. She plays a sergeant. Also romantic, uh, interest of him in the film um they're kind of written a bit like grizzled veterans but they look so young it it, Hmm. to me it makes no sense whatsoever to have such young actors playing these roles now it being a Luc Basson film if you took those actors out of the movie and you popped in uh, Bruce Willis and uh, Mila Jovovich it would make so much more sense and it probably be a better film because it would it, it would just meld better but because these two actors, and they're not bad actors, they're just not cast properly. Um, and maybe I missed something where, um, you know, they're, they're frozen and they come back. So really they're 80 years old, but they look like they're 20. I, I don't know. I completely missed that, <laughs> but they looked way too baby faced for their roles. And that kind of took me slightly out of the film. Um, but that's my only gripe. Like the film itself is really good. The story is okay. It's, it's nothing. It's a space opera, you know? So if you like Star Wars, you'll like this film. Um, I gave it, uh, uh four out of five stars on Letterboxd. And you can uh, watch me on Letterboxd at mnado 2 Um, but, uh, I have yeah. To, I have so, to uh, compliment you on your Jovovich without even double taking. Good for you. Oh, oh, no. I thought about it three words in advance, like right before I said it. <laughs> I really, I'm like, if I stumble through that name, I'm going to kick my own nuts. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, I had the force in me just for that one word. I'm going I'm to I'm flip everything else, but I can say Jovovich. That's awesome. Um, That's right. Yeah. So, I, I do recommend Valerian. It was really good. If you can just get over the I guess it's ageism in a way. They're too young. There you go. Yeah. So, if you can get over my ageism, then uh, then you will enjoy the film. <laughs> Um, Good. next one I saw that day and please, if you've seen these movies, do butt in with your, uh, with your, you know, with your takes on it. Um, I yeah, saw I Logan Lucky. Ah, so we'll, you'll, you'll, be using your, you'll be using that movie pass quite a bit then, because these are some <laughs> good films. Um, Logan Lucky. It's the latest, uh, Soder- uh, Soderbergh film. Oh, fuck. Say I fucked up that name, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> Steven Soderbergh. I- <laughs> 
Um, I didn't know it was his film until after uh, the movie, uh, I guess the credits started playing. So it's, think Oceans, it's a heist movie at a NASCAR event, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've seen the trailer for that. Yeah. So you've got, um, you've got uh, Chatting Tatum. Uh, He's the lead. Uh, Then you've got the guy who played uh, Kylo Ren in the uh, last uh, Star Wars movie. Uh, what's his name? Adam Driver. Adam Driver's in it. Uh, Daniel Craig's in it. Hmm. Um, Dwight Yoakam's in it. Sebastian Stan, Catherine Watterson. Wow. Anyways, it's it's kind of star-studded. Not like, holy shit, this person's working with this person. But I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, like Hilary Swank shows up later on. Like, it, it's just, it's a it's a really cool film. Um, hmm. I re- it, it's, what I got the most out of it, it it's so freaking funny. Like, I was okay. not howling, but I was laughing out loud in uh, like during scenes. Um, yeah. Adam Driver deadpans really well, especially as a as a southerner. It's a southerner with one arm. It's he does it so well, and you kind of you care for all the people involved in the film, like all the characters. Mm-hmm. It's really really good. Like I re- yeah, they're the bad guys because they're stealing, right? But man, uh, I liked it a lot. Um, I give that a full five stars. I didn't expect to even like it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I, what I expected and what I saw, just from what I saw on the poster, I'm assuming, I assume that Daniel Craig is a race car driver and there's, he's got to steal something during a race, which makes no sense because he never leaves the car, but you know, whatever. It's Daniel, it's Daniel Craig, right? Um, right. So it wasn't what I expected. It's so much better than I expected. It's worth checking out. And this is what sucks right now is that people are, or I guess, you know, movie analysts are saying this is one of the worst um, summaries ever for the box office, which is really too bad because, like, I haven't mentioned everything else yet. But I've seen so many cool movies this year that I think were, A, mismarketed or not marketed at all. Because if it wasn't for the Logan Lucky poster, seeing when I went to the movies the other times, I wouldn't have known of this film. That said, I am a cord cutter. I don't watch TV with commercials anymore. So maybe right. there's been a lot of ads that I don't know. Um, but uh, we watch TV at work and I never saw the commercials for Logan Lucky. Um, but it's totally worth it. I loved it. Um, so that's for that day. And then uh, prior to that, I saw two more. Um, I saw Dunkirk. IMAX. Oh, I need to see that one. Dude, if, if there's still an IMAX screen showing that film, Go see it in IMAX. It was hmm. so freaking good. And the story itself, it's, you know, it's about the Battle of Dunkirk, which is not, was not familiar to me at the time. Yeah. Um, but pretty yeah. much it was a really shitty rescue mission or rescue situation that Churchill fumbled during the Second World War. Um, okay. And I think it's even before the Americans got involved in the war. I think it's early on. Uh, oh. It's, man, it's really good. It's, it's shown from three points of view, from the guys on the beach, from the pilots in the plane, and then from a civilian captain and his son and his best friend heading to Dunkirk to pick up uh, British soldiers. So it's got three different timelines, but they all merge. And man, it's really good. And what I really dug the most, there's two things. One was the sound editing for the film. When you've got torpedoes and planes dive bombing and hitting pla- uh, hitting boats, the sound they made, holy shit. Like, it gave me goosebumps. 
it, I felt like I was there, obviously. But I like I was so immersed in the world. It was crazy. Like I really dug it. And the shots, because in in with this story, the British only throw three planes their way to protect them from like Nazis and stuff. So um Tom Hardy plays one of the captain or one of the pilots, and they're flying to uh they're they're flying to uh to the mission and it's all above above an ocean or above a body of water i'll be honest I'm, geog- geography speaking i think it's like a, a, across a channel from like england to, to france but don't quote me on that i honestly i'm being ignorant okay. um yeah i but have no idea the way it's, yeah but the way it's shot with an imax camera on an imax screen and the way the light or the sun is hitting the planes reflecting on the water it's so beautiful and the dogfight scenes are freaking amazing. Uh, like, I was in awe watching this movie. It might not, mm. uh, story-wise, be his best film. But I thought yeah. it's... I'm, I'm seeing, like, a master right now with just the way he directed the movie. Like, I thought it was mm. really good. So, like Logan Lucky, I give that movie five stars as well. Oh, so Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, the last one I saw uh, in this small uh, bundle of films, um, Atomic Blonde. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's the one that's based in 1989 in um, uh, Germany before the uh, before the Berlin Wall crumbles down. So it's a few days before that with Charlie Theron, with James McAvoy, um, John Goodman's in it. Uh, wow. I did not think I would like this film as much as I did. Um, it hit me in all the right spots. It's it's an it's an eighties film. It's filmed in eighty nine. It's an it's it's based in eighty nine. Um, the soundtrack is fucking banging. If you love eighties pop music, I I, I pre ordered okay. the um, vinyl of Mondo after watching the film. It's oh, that nice. good. Yeah, it's that good. Now I think it kind of wants to be a little Baby Driver, where you know they kind of match a song to a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they do it as well as Baby Driver at all. But I kind of like the music and Atomic Blonde better. So there you go. Um, okay. There's one scene in the middle of the film where it's a fight scene. And it seems like it's one long take for like 15 minutes. It's fucking oh, wow. good. Like, Theron uh, really kicks some ass in this film. Um, it's In a way, I guess you could say it's very John Wickish, But it's okay. not. But action-wise, it's like if you like John Wick... There's, I don't see a reason why you would not like Atomic Blonde either. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's been expected. Again, James McAvoy, which I have met. He's made so many good films. And some of them are with like direct-to-video. Uh, some of them went to the theaters. But I think the guy is one of the be- better actors out there right now. And he kills it again. Um, it's It's highly recommended. I gave that film five stars as well. I went to the movies. Wow. And I, I saw five or three five star movies in a row, and then one four star. That's crazy. That doesn't happen hmm. very often. Right. Um, I'm gonna go quick for the rest here, just because they're not as good as the other ones. Um, briefly, uh, in uh, Toronto, I was able to get a special screening of another Wolf Cop, which is Wolf Cop Two. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Kevin Smith has a cameo, and this movie unfortunately reeks like a Kevin Smith. Canadian film. You know, he did Tusk, did Yoga Hosers, and there's another one coming out. Right. Um, this one is very, has a very Yoga Hoser vibe to it, and I hated Yoga Hosers. 
Um, I think those who do see it when it comes out in December will kind of see why. Um, I don't want to ruin it because it was a sneak preview, but yeah, I was very disappointed with Night of Wolf Cop. I think the best part of the movie mm-hmm. was the poster, unfortunately. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also saw Annabelle Creation. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, I was just looking. At yeah, that. which I wasn't expecting much, just because I didn't like I didn't like Annabelle very much. Uh, okay. This one is so much better. It is oh, cool. really good. Um, I thought it it takes uh, maybe a few minutes too long to get going. When it does, mm-hmm. it's a solid horror film. So I awesome. recommend that. Um, I'm going to go quickly here on some uh, other stuff. I did see uh, Ingrid Goes West. That's the one with, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, sh- sh- oh. I'm picturing her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Plaza, Aubrey Plaza. Uh, Aubrey Plaza, Elizabeth Olsen's in it. Uh, uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr., which is Ice Cube's kid. Um, that's the, uh, <laughs> it's the, uh, neon rated film. Uh, they did Colossal earlier this year. This is their second release and it's all about like Instagram and Instagram stalkers. I wanted to love this movie and I didn't. I don't. Ingrid Goes West is a in- Instagram stalker movie? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. Think single white female with Instagram. I, I, did, I, I guess I've never seen the poster. I just thought it was a Western. Probably because <laughs> of the title. I yeah. have no idea. No, it's it's a, yeah. I actually bought the poster because I, I like like I like the way it looks. I just didn't like the film. Um, huh. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, maybe it was my mood that day. I don't know. I just I, mm-hmm. I didn't like it. I, I wish I did, but it didn't. Um, going quickly as well. Uh, okay, some quick Netflix stuff. I watched Catfight. Uh, that's the one with um, uh, with uh, Sandra O oh and Anne Heche. about two okay. two former guest college buddies that get jealous from each other and then beat the shit out of each other three four times during the film. Think of oh, a live action Peter Griffin versus the Chicken fight. Oh and this god! This is cat fight. That's fucking weird. Yeah, it is weird. I liked it. Really? Um, would I buy it? Because I know Arrow Films. Um, uh, released it in the UK. Don't know if I'd buy it, but I give it three and a half out of five. So I liked it enough. Mm. Um, would I watch it again? Maybe not right away. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's that. And I also watched, uh, after a lot of people's uh, disapproval, Death Note. Oh, yes. Have you seen that one? No, I have not. Okay. Uh, so this is based off the anime or manga. Um, I do not know the source material. So I, my interest is based solely on the film itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I dug it. Uh, I thought Willem Dafoe plays a great uh, bad guy. I forget what his name is right now. Um, but, uh, he was creepy in his, uh, in his voiceover. I guess he was doing voice and like, uh, he's fully anime, like, you know, Andy Circus does and it's all CGI. Right. Um, yeah, I, I like the idea of the film. Um, I like the whole principle of the whole death note. Um, I heard the anime is a lot better, better describes it. This was kind of rushed. And people were giving the directors, uh, Adam Wingard, so much hate. He actually had to delete his Twitter. Yeah, I saw that. So that's not cool because uh, he does some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you don't like something, you don't have to harass him online. Right, but, you don't have to be an asshole. Yeah, so I liked it. I gave it four out of five stars. Um, again, I watch a whole bunch more of other things. Uh, oh, I saw Detroit. Did you see Detroit? No, no. <laughs> it's your fucking hometown. I know. And Dude, I don't you go did to the not theater. go see Detroit. I know. I, I literally don't go to the theater, which is why I got the movie pass. Hopefully, we need to change that. Oh, uh, well, uh, it's good. I liked it. Good. Um, I did not know it was based on a real story. 
uh, like a real life event. Oh yeah. Um, I went in uh, completely oblivious of the uh, of its historical nature. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was fucking great. I thought it was awesome. really good. Anyways, a little bit of that. I've spoken too much. But uh, yeah, Never. so again, I, I haven't been on the podcast for like six weeks. I watched 40, almost 50 films. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's a smattering. And you can get the rest on uh, on my Instagram because most oh, yeah. of these were for uh, the, the challenge, which I'll have, uh, I'm happy to say I'm on the fifth leg of my challenge. Good. So I'm doing Blu-rays right now. Uh, as of today's uh, writing, I just posted the letter E and I did for Everest. Um, but I'm a little further down in my viewing. So I'm about halfway through the Blu-rays and then I got one more string of DVDs and I'm fucking done. Oh, I'm man. so excited to get my life back. I know. <laughs> You're doing well. You fucking so, picked up a lot of, we picked up the pace a lot through these last two arcs, I feel like. I did, well, Netflix helped a lot because I was able to watch a lot of work. Right, <laughs> you know, when you're working uh, three 12 hour shifts and there's nothing happening, you can mm-hmm. pump out two movies in a shift and, yeah. uh, yeah, and I got three films I got to write reviews for uh, this weekend. So I'm doing okay. pretty good. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. So I should, uh, I think Halloween, I'm going to enjoy Halloween and watch stuff that I want for Halloween. Right. Um, which still gives me two months to bang on another 20 some films. So easy breezy. Yeah, I'm looking pretty. It was looking a little uh, a little bleak when I did the first run and it took me a month and a half. Right. But yeah, uh, yeah I'm uh, looking pretty right now. So uh this uh, challenge shall be met. Hell, yes, it will. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's jump over and kick off our new arc, which is yes. the Poe Cycle. What did I call it? I forget what we named it already. The Corman uh, Poe Cycle. The Corman Poe Cycle. Thank you. Yes, yes. the Corman Poe Cycle. All right. So this is House of Usher or The Fall of the House of Usher from 1960. So as always, there will be spoilers for House of Usher from 1960. So if you've not seen this film and you care about the spoilers, definitely pause the podcast, go watch the film, come on back and hit play and listen to our discussion about it. So House of Usher from 1960 had an original U.S. theatrical release date of June 18th, 1960 at a Palm Springs, California premiere. I think it's interesting to note that this is the oldest film we've officially reviewed on the Cinefessions podcast by 15 years at that. What was the next oldest film? Do you know offhand? Uh, Was I involved? You were. I was involved. Um, I'm trying to think. Can you give me a hint? Yeah. Okay. Live episode. Jaws? Yes. Really? Really? Isn't that crazy? I went through our whole list, and up until today, our oldest episode, our oldest film we watched was 1975's Jaws. The one before that was 1981's Evil Dead. No kidding, man! I we know. need to go back in the way back machine and try to. Watch I know. More of these well, we films. have eight films that yeah. we're going to be reviewing now that are all from this era and uh, or this year and and and, and uh, close to it. So, yeah. So yes. Yeah, so something different for us here. That's what I was uh, getting at earlier. Something completely different than what we've done in the past. So this one, of course, directed by Roger Corman, written by the wonderful Richard Matheson, mm-hmm. 
based on uh, the fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe, which I did read today. Okay. I did finish that one at work today, so I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, it has an IMDb score of 7.0 out of the 9,340 current votes. It does not have a Metacritic score, but it does have a 90% tomato meter score and an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 73%. It had a uh, $200,000 budget, but an unknown gross. And it runs, clocks in at a 79-minute runtime. So, Mark, what's your history with House of Usher? Uh, first time watching. I, okay. Yep, me as well. I, I bought the Vincent Price collection a while back from Scream Factory, mm-hmm. which I'm glad I did because they're out of print. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I bought all three uh, volumes and, uh, I've only watched maybe one or two films out of all of them. So this is good. I'll be able to get some uh, usage out of these uh, box sets. Yeah, me too. So, like, I own the first two. I've not picked up the third one yet. Um, but I had, do have the first two. And they both sit sat sealed downstairs until I open this one up to watch the House of Usher. And frankly, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit my uh, ignorance here. So I thought when I was looking through, I was like, okay, this is House of Usher. I was like looking through the um, the list, the content listing of the two Corman sets or the two uh, Price sets, mm-hmm. and I was like, damn it, they just have the fall of the House of Usher. Like they don't have House of Usher. I thought maybe like that was the sequel or something. Okay. <laughs> and so it wasn't until you posted last night or two days ago. That you were watching, and I was like, wait, is that the same movie? And you're like, uh, yes, yes, it is. And I was like, thank fuck. Save me money from renting it. And it was only an SD on uh, Amazon, so it looked like shit. Okay. And so I'm glad that you posted that because then I realized, oh, I already own this in Blu-ray at that. So yeah, um, yeah but so this obviously was my first time watching it as well. And uh, I actually – I read the short story for the first time today and frankly – this is probably the first Edgar Allan Poe short story I've actually read from beginning to end. Um, I think I've read parts of The Raven okay. when I was, you know, back in undergrad and whatnot, but uh, nothing that I recall about it. And so this is really the first, um, the first time I've read a Poe short story. And I'll admit it, it is, it's difficult reading. It's, mm-hmm. there are, it, they just, he uses language that we don't use anymore. And there's so many words that I just didn't know and had to look up. Um, and that doesn't, I, you know, it's good to learn, but I, I just wanted to be entertained. You know, so well, it's just a different. Uh, it's, it's different. It's a different type of English now. He's writing yeah. the way people uh, spoke back then. Exactly. So, you know, the language has uh, evolved or maybe devolved, according to some. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there wasn't an LOL or an OMG to be found. It's like how no are you emojis. supposed to understand this? I'm like it's weird. Today, if you would actually read a Poe book that's been translated for today's times, it's un- you know, unhappy faces. <laughs> exactly. Um, yes, but I'm very glad that I, I read it. And uh, that's my goal for this is to read the short stories that these films are based on um, each week, mm-hmm. just so I have an idea of where it's coming from. Not that it matters necessarily, but I don't know. It's cool to know where it's coming from, you know? So well, it's it's nice to see how, uh, how how it's originally written as well, just because like his stories are usually yeah. well, they're short stories and they're being expanded mm-hmm. to feature length films. So now right. you're able to and, maybe uh, clarify where the filler is. Yeah. And I guess I'll, I'll just talk about that a little bit now. Um, so it's – the short story, frankly, the language is – Poe has you know a very beautiful use of the, of the language. But the story itself, after watching the film, because I watched the film first, it almost – it feels like – rushed you know because it is a short story versus the film which is you know an hour and 20 minutes but it just feels like it's 
kind of glossing over everything, which, you know, makes sense. But I think I like the way that Matheson takes it more so than I like what, you know, Poe's original take on it was. Would you say that um, short story is kind of poetic? Yeah. It is, yes, it is. Yeah. No, it's funny because I was thinking about that while I was reading it. I was like, oh, it's very poetic. I was like, oh. Grown. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> um, but, exactly. But, uh, so in the film, obviously, um, there are only four characters in the entire film, which I think is fascinating. But um, Madeline and Philip, or Winthrop, Mr. Winthrop, are lovers in the movie, where in the book, in the short story, the reason that Winthrop goes to the house of Usher is because he's old friends with Mr. Usher, with Roderick. Oh. And he is ailing, and so he goes there to kind of – to help cheer him up, basically. And then he doesn't even know his sister. He only catches a couple glimpses of her throughout the entire time they're there, sees that the house is falling apart. Things are going weird. He doesn't – you know, at no point does he have a romantic interest with the sister. All of a sudden – uh, Mr. Usher comes up to him and says, "Hey, my sister's dead. Can you help me put her in the in the crypt downstairs?" He does, and then he starts hearing things at night. And all of a sudden, Mr. Usher comes in. Clearly, there's something fucked up with him. Like you know, he says that it looks like he has a secret that he's you yeah. know afraid to tell, or trying to work up the nerve to tell. And then all of a sudden, the woman uh, Madeline shows back up and basically takes out. Roderick, uh, Mr. Usher, and then Winthrop bails, and that's it. Like the house falls down behind him. Like that's oh. that's the entire thing. And so, where Matheson got this idea to make them lovers, I think is interesting. And it, it's it kind of begs the question: Ah, what am I trying to say? It it makes me wonder. It made me consider how well it yeah. works in the film. Um, does it work that well? Does it make sense that Madeline is gone from the house and then goes back and then all of a sudden can't leave? Well, my problem with the film, at least storyline-wise, is that she's fine when she's in Boston College. So mm-hmm. was she living at the house before she left Boston College? Right, and exactly. So why did they let her leave the house? Yes. You know, if, and if that's- this is a curse upon everyone and, you know, everybody goes to college to fuck, um, why would you, why right. would you send her to college only to have yeah. her come back and then get trapped inside the house? Exactly. And that's, that's honestly though, watching it, I didn't, that didn't bug me. Okay. It wasn't until I read the book, I read the, the book, I read the story yeah. and was like, oh, you know, that's, that's weird because- Right. Why Why did, did she come back and why was she able to leave before? Like, and like, was she aware of the curse before she right. left? Because exactly. like, if she's aware of the curse, then you think she'd be more why social and not make male friends, right? Right. Because um, now, you yeah, know. Yeah, so that, uh, that yeah, I, yeah that betrothed the story a bit. Yeah, because she's betrothed to, to Philip. Mm-hmm. And like, she never mentioned her crazy past or crazy right. family to Philip whatsoever during their time at college. Um, so again, it's a small speed bump. It doesn't really affect the film at all. It's just, it's a curious question that it could be. Exactly. Answered, you know, so. Right. So I didn't mean to jump. I, I feel like I jumped ahead a lot, it's but all that's good. all right. Um, but anyway, this thing starts off with a friggin' overture and I was like, oh boy, we really are heading back in time with this cycle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it felt like a smart way for Corman to pad out the runtime though, which <laughs> I'm sure was part of the reason why he did it. You know, it's cheap, easy way to run that. Oh, well, so the way I was thinking is like, what was the last time there was an overture for a film? And the only one that comes to mind was when I saw um, 
when I saw, oh shit, uh, the Tarantino film. Oh, I wrote it down. Um, oh, which one? Ah, his last one. Oh, uh, Django? Hateful Eight. Okay. Yeah. So I saw Hateful Eight at, at, in 70 millimeter. Uh, oh, and okay. It had an overture before the movie, but I'm right. like, well, it's not for runtime because the movie's so long. It actually right. had an intermission. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think it was for padding. Um, also, this maybe set you in the mood for the gothic horror because mm-hmm. that's not something that was really in vogue at the time. Yeah. Because I, when I think, think of- Hammer was doing it the same time as AI. Um, but it wasn't very popular. Again, this being the first Corman, Price, Poe uh, film. Mm-hmm. So I'm, uh, I I watched this movie twice, once with a commentary by Roger Corman, which oh, for those oh, who nice. does have, who do have the, uh, the box set by Screen Factory, it's uh, the commentary tracks, because another one with Price's daughter. They're not in the bonus features. They're under the audio tab. So they're okay. easy to miss. Um, but uh, Corman does a... Full length, um, a full length commentary, and uh, this is like, yeah, he wasn't because what they were doing with AI at the time is they would make two films back to back, um, like two gangster movies, two horror movies. Each film would take ten days to film, mm-hmm. and then they would send them off to like uh, the drive-ins. And mm-hmm. Corman was getting tired of doing that. She's like, no, I'm going to take fifteen minutes or fifteen days to make this movie. I'm going to do this one in color. And this is their first, uh, the, and this is what they did with uh, House of Usher. Um, so it kind of changed the way he did things at AI back then. It kind of yeah. bucked, uh, bucked the trend a bit. Yeah. Because a movie like this wouldn't do well in the drive-in. Right, yeah. Uh, no, unless you're it. a teen and you're just using it as background noise to make out. Let's be right. honest. You know? I think, yeah, it's it's much too slow to be like a drive-in movie. Yeah, and you know, it's a gothic horror. You kind of want to be indoors, yeah. you know, in a dark right. room, um, in a big room, which could simulate a castle if you really, you know, <laughs> if, if you yeah. kind of squint. Um, right. But yeah, a movie like this would not work well uh, on the, uh, you know, in the, in an open air cinema. Exactly. Um, kind of my, my first impression, I thought of the physical Blu ray, I thought it was an excellent transfer. There were oh. moments where it kind of got a little out of focus, but I don't think that was the, I don't think that was Scream Factory's fault, but I thought the transfer itself just looked really fucking good. Oh yeah. It was beautiful. Like when I took a screenshot of the title screen yesterday, um, mm-hmm. I thought it was just, it looked so gorgeous and, uh, kind of freaky because then when, uh, when, uh, Roderick Usher comes out, Vincent Price and he's got blonde hair. Um, I was yeah. taken aback. I'm like, whoa, this is, I didn't expect that. That's not, uh, <laughs> that doesn't look good. And I think Corm, uh, Matheson did a really good job of kind of, or well, Corman, whatever, together, they did a really good job of creating that character based on Poe's explanation of him, his description of him in there. Um, because I, his lips caught me as interesting. Cause obviously, I mean, obviously every actor wears, you know, lipstick and, and makeup and everything, but sure. his, his was very, uh, precise the way his lips looked okay. um, you could almost tell it was makeup i thought and uh in the in the short story i don't remember the line exactly but he talks about how he has almost pretty lips or something like that almost beautiful lips or something along those lines yeah. um and i thought that was interesting that that stood out to me in the in both you know the short story and the the film oh, adaptation yeah. of it but roderick usher is a very um, pretty boy but it's just he's he's insane Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so 
I, it was a strange start, and it almost made me think that it was going to be. Now, obviously, the film is supernatural, but it's supernatural. I was thinking maybe it was going to go in a different way, because um, like the, I call them the Butler uh, Bristol. I guess I don't know what his yeah. actual. Job He's was, a Butler. But yeah, um, it was just a strange. A strange atmosphere. So obviously, you know, uh, Winthrop shows up and he wants to come in. He won't let him. And then he finally does when he insists. And then he makes him take his shoes off. And then he then Winthrop turns around and he's gone. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. I really thought this was going to be uh, vampiric of some sort. I thought this was going to be a vampire film. Okay. You know, it, it's funny At you mentioned point. Supernatural because Corman mm -hmm. actually made a point in his commentary. He says he doesn't consider this film to be a supernatural picture. But the exploration of a tormented mind, which I found interesting. And I think that's where this film is the strongest to me, is when it is a question of, is this... Because they present the question, is Winthrop... Or I'm sorry, is Roderick just mm -hmm. batshit crazy? And frankly, to me, his he seemed like he was schizophrenic. The things he was saying, like, you know, people often misassociate schizophrenia with multiple personalities that's not what schizophrenia is mm -hmm. um you know and so this to me he seems schizophrenic in the you know the heightened senses and the delusions and and things like that you know um so is it that or is he telling the truth you know and i think that question lasts until the very end when she comes back from the dead or I, I would assume she's – my assumption was that she comes back from the dead because of the way her face looked. And so at that point, I think it turns supernatural and I think it turns out that Usher is, or Roderick is right. Well, I, I think there are supernatural elements just because the house does crumble within itself. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, R Roderick is not supernatural. He doesn't have any supernatural powers. I, I think the evil in the house comes from the centuries of – evil doing in the house which maybe imbued itself onto the house itself yeah you know so i think because they meant you know later on in the film they mentioned how you know the the parents did bad things and the grandparents and the great-grandparents and i think the house right. absorbed some of that energy and in return you know the house in a way is haunted but not in the traditional sense um I don't think, yeah, so Roderick doesn't have any special powers. I think Madeline, when she comes back, I think she's, her makeup just shows that she's gone insane because she was buried alive. So right. I think she's gotten mad and, or, you know, she, 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 she went nuts and yeah, it's just her. Mad. Yeah. So she, I don't think she's back from the dead. I just think it's her. She was able to break out of her casket and now she's, she's gone mad. Yeah, that could be. I thought, uh, I, I, that may absolutely make sense, but I thought, uh, when she attacked Winthrop is, oh, and, okay, so there's that, yes. Um, so the fact that she attacked Winthrop, I guess, could be explained away, but the fact that she's just stark raving mad. But she seems to have superhuman strength at the end because she's able to, like, manhandle these larger men. With ease, it looked like. And so that's the other reason that I thought that she was, in fact, you know, something uh, subhuman, something supernatural. I still think it might just be an adrenaline surge. 
Like yeah, I don't know how long she was underground mm-hmm. or in her in her mausoleum or whatever in her casket. Right. Um, I'm assuming it's at least a day or two. Um, but I I think that uh, I, I just think it's adrenaline, and that's why she's so. And plus, she, she comes out out of nowhere. You know, it's not like they start coming and they're like you know they're ready for her. They're caught off guard to her attacks. You know. Yeah. And again, she doesn't like she manhandles, but she never kills anybody because you know like again we're well, doesn't she kill uh, well i i, I well i think oh, aren't they struggling and then the house kind of just collapses on them like all on all three well, of yeah them? yeah i guess that's true so i think she like she holds him in place and i think he's and again roderick i think he has almost an incestuous relationship with his sister and i don't mean physically just he's his oh. love is so strong for his sister you know That's, that, yeah. And he knows he's damned, so I think he kind of like she's attacking him. But I think at the same time he he's not fighting her off; he holds her to him because they're all going to die together. And that's interesting that you bring that up because in the short story, yeah, um, Roderick actually tells Winthrop that they are twins. And so I, I okay. don't know if you've ever known twins, but they just have a different connection than regular other brothers and sisters. And so yeah. that could be kind of where that idea comes from. Maybe because it's funny. Um, and again, mentioned in the uh, commentary because I didn't notice it at first. Um, mm-hmm. apart from one scene when Philip kisses Madeline, it's never in the presence yes. of Roderick until right. that one, I guess, the first night scene or maybe it's the first day scene when he either kisses her goodnight. I think he kisses her goodnight and then like the yes, camera and he shuts the door and Roderick's right there. So right. if yeah. they only kiss. When they're alone, but at the earlier at the supper, he or she kissed Roderick uh, goodnight as she left uh, the table, but just either hugged or gave a handshake. She didn't, to, to she didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah she exactly. just said goodnight and walked away. There we go. So it's like, but then she has no problems like kissing her brother. But again, it's not no, sexual. Me, it's more of a, I don't no, know. It just, yeah, it was it was, it just felt like a respect thing. Yeah, like, uh, older brother, uh, I bent you adieu, right. adieu, you know, yeah. yeah. But funny that he didn't do that, do. Or she did that to, to Philip as well. Mm, I know, yes, that is, that was, um, my, so when Price shows up on the screen, it was, I was just taken aback by his presence. Yeah. He, and it's fascinating because he's a meek character, but he just has this stage presence about him. That just demands my attention, I thought. And mm-hmm. uh, that's just him being the, you know, masterful actor that he is. Now, I agree with you. I think he's awesome. But now, let's say we didn't know his fandom and his horror background and, like, his icon status. Would somebody oblivious to who this guy is feel the same way? I don't know. See, I, I would, I would think so because that's kind of the, honestly, when I saw him, I've spent so little time with, with Price's films. Yeah. I didn't even realize it was him for a few minutes. Okay. Well, the blonde hair I was taken aback immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm. (laughs) Like, I'm in love with the guy. The fact that this is our first film from 1960, like. Yeah. I just don't spend a ton of time with the older films. Sure. I mean, I do, but. Just not, I haven't spent a ton of time with uh, with Price's films, I guess. Yeah, no, I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, 
And I myself, I appreciate what Price has done and what he does on screen. I just don't know if my my awe for him would be as strong if I didn't know who he was. But at the same time, though, you're right. Yeah. He is very compelling for the first time. But because mm-hmm. you're also taking a bit of back. You know, he's got the, the, the wine uh, jacket. And then with those blue eyes, those pink lips, and the, and the blonde hair. That's, it's quite the sight to see. And again, it is, me yeah. doing Prismas of the films, um, he, he's almost a little effeminate without being effeminate. Do you know what I mean? No, I thought he absolutely was. Yeah. yeah. He's almost, because, and again, it goes back to his look yeah. to me. Yeah, it's striking. That's for sure. He's like a rose. He's, he's a delicate rose because at the same time, the finest cloth for him only because his skin scratches and exactly. you know, he, yes. his eyesight's fucked and he hears too strongly. So he's very delicate. So he's wrapped mm-hmm. up in this tight little package. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm, I was just going through his filmography real quick and I've only come across like a couple that I've actually seen. Oh, yeah, we're going to have fun with this arc. But yeah, I know. But absolutely. Um the other thing that struck me was the use of color. And you said this is – was did you say that this is the first one they did in color or one of the first? Well, this is – the thing is prior to this, they were doing a lot of uh, back-to-back shoots in black and white. And this right. is the first one um, – I, I don't know if it's the first one ever, but this is the first oh, one okay. Just, in a long time that was like, no, give me 15 days. Give me spend the cash, more time on Spend it. more time on it and dress it nice and what? Yeah. Um, so this was uh, – yeah. This was bucking the pattern of films that they were doing at the time. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that really shows in the use of color. The, first off, the set that they're filming on is is gorgeous. And there is just a, a – specifically like the, the dark reds and the browns and that like bronze color I thought was very striking and mm-hmm. it worked really well. And it goes back. To, you know, him in that red robe going, you know, calling him the rose. I think it just works so well on so many different levels. And it's frankly, it's just, it's more than I would have expected from, from this type of movie, you know, and I I love that. Well, especially since uh, American pictures, they were known as like low budget quickie films. Right, um, exactly. So, and and also, you know, I guess today myself, I can I, when I think of Roger Corman, I think of Piranha, Death Race. Mm-hmm. So to see something and I enjoy those films. Um yeah. so to see something done, you know, decades before and so well, you know, like really well crafted. Mm-hmm. And speaking of color, you know, and it's a nice contrast when we're, we're in Madeline's room and it's all brightly lit and there's colors. And then it's a contrast to when we're in the basement in the mausoleum where it's really dark. And, you know, it's like when you're seeing color, it's just like you're seeing signs of life because there's death all around them. You know, the house itself is dark and the uh, the surrounding area, the, the ground is all it's burnt wood and it's fog and it's swamp and it's it's gross, you know. So it seems to me like in this film, color means life. So, you know, yeah, yeah maybe and I'm stretching it a bit, but I, I kind of get that. Feeling. No, I, I think you're there. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and the other thing I liked uh, that I, I'm glad about the fact that I read the short stories because I, it just it makes me impressed by some of the very small details that Cor- um, Matheson put into his script. Mm-hmm. Um, and for example, one of those was when you were talking about um, the, uh, uh, the crypt. And how they have this line about how, 
you know, oh, the I think he lights his he lights a uh, a match and he's like, oh, it almost went out because it's so like there's just the air the air's like no air down here yeah. basically, and that's like right from the short story. In that moment, I'm I was trying to find it, but I, there's no way in hell I'm gonna find it. Yeah. Um, the uh, Winthrop's character mentions about how you know they could barely breathe because there's just not there's no air down there, and you know it's so dark and blah blah. blah. And so just that small moment is such a great thing to take from the the short story because it is such a a thing you can do visually mm-hmm. right so and, and they do it really well in uh in the film and so i like that i love the line when price uh, uh, uh roderick says i have warned you sir whatever consequences follow your refusal to leave are upon you alone i thought that was a wonderful line and i thought it was actually quite eerie because it felt like it didn't feel like a threat. It just felt like a you know a promise, as yeah. the old saying goes. You know, and uh, I really like that. What I found weird as well, Winthrop is going to Usher's house. Usher tells him to mm-hmm. leave, and he won't. What? Why doesn't right. Roderick Usher just call the cops or the Bobbies or whatever? <laughs> you know, it's like at just different times. Who yeah. the hell are you, Philip? To say no, I asked you to leave. No, I will not. Okay, I guess I'll make your room. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's because of the fact that he's betrothed to Madeline or Madeline. Uh, and, and she, I feel like he just gives him that respect. I feel like Roderick just gives him that respect because of that. Oh, sure. I'm just, I'm just saying though, you know, like who does right. that, you know, I, I, don't know. I, I just, I guess, you know, again, customs and, you know, it's so how old is the yeah. story? 120 years old or so? 18 something. Um, yeah. You know, so I don't know. I just, I just, it's, it's funny how the customs were back then. Maybe it's because the houses were exactly. so far apart from each other. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah. And I, I love those moments where, so we, we have already, they've already established that Roderick, you know, he says like when he hears things, it feels like, or hears loud noises, it's like swords through his earlobes. And when, Winthrop gets angry, he gets loud, and just the, Roderick's reaction to that was so well done yeah. for, you know, just the fact that this is physically harming him mm-hmm. by you yelling, and I like that. Yeah, because that's so, a way to get back. The first bit of- violent with him. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Um, so our first bit of action in the film is the chandelier nearly falling on Mr. Winthrop. Yep. And uh, just Mr. Usher's warning coming true. Um, and I, I liked that. Because then we get – what else do we get with the close calls? We, the, the casket nearly falls on him. He almost gets burned by the uh, pot of gruel, right. which is just fucking disgusting. Uh, the, the embers in the um, fireplace. And or was that the gruel? Yes. Uh, say that again. Were there embers in the fireplace? Or, or am I uh, mixing things up? No, I think was it, was he, that, there was, was something the with the fireplace. Oh, Okay. I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah, I think there was like four different things that almost got him. Yeah, and a few brushes um, of death there. Yes, exactly. But I liked how Roderick didn't even respond when when Winthrop says um if he leaves in the morning, he won't be alone. Mr. Usher looks at him and then he start and then uh, Winthrop starts staying near a line and Usher just turns around and walks out. I just thought that was so well done. Just walks out mid-sentence. It's so smart. Um I think one of the spookiest things in the film and I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you're going to talk about this next or not were the family paintings. I don't oh, know what you Okay, yeah, go for it. But I thought those paintings looked so good. 
but they're so creepy. Yes. Like I legit think they're the scariest parts of the film when they're going from from. Well, first of all, you had the painting of the house early in the film, all painted in red, which just show it just yeah. shows the house has like an evil entity around it or seeping into it. Like mm-hmm. you know, there's something wrong with this house. And then you go to all the different family members and the art itself. The artist, if uh, I can find my notes here, um, it was by uh, an artist by the name of Bert uh, Schoenberg. And uh, apparently the paintings are so well are so popular on set while filming that each of the cast members, the main cast members, was able to take one painting home with them, which I'm very oh, jealous. Nice. But, you know, the painting reminded me a lot of Clive Barker's artwork. Um, I'm not sure if you're oh. familiar with it or not. Um, Interesting. I, I I picture it from like some of his covers and things like that that I've seen. Yeah, I, I just found like a, one piece that comes to mind was I think uh, Abarat or Abrax, Abrat. I don't know, but he did a painting while I was at the Festival of Fear in 2007. I guess it was, and it actually became a cover of one of the Rue Morgue Halloween issues. Again, I think it's Halloween. Okay. And uh, just the way he painted, like just the style that he did at that time reminded me a lot of the paintings from this film. So I'm not sure if he yeah, was uh, very much so if he was influenced by them or not. But uh, especially the the final two, I would imagine the final two paintings of the film. I believe it was the granddad, the admiral, who had the red eyes, and then the grandmother. Yeah, the um, oh man, those are. Sp- Imagine having that hanging above your fireplace in your home. Scare the shit out of burglars. I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, right. So cool. So creepy. I would love prints of those paintings. I don't know if they exist or not. I really dug I, them. Exactly. Yeah. I really dug them. No, I agree. That I thought they were wonderfully done. And uh, looking up the Aberrat, I that's exactly what I was picturing when you were talking about um, when you brought up Barker. Yeah. Uh, very, very much in that same realm. I, I have to imagine he was influenced by that. Yeah, I, I thought they were pretty uh, cool. just awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as I was trying to still figure out what's going on here, like you know, I still had this the idea that this was something vampiric. Uh, you know, trying to piece this all together. Um, and the, the, I thought it was interesting that uh, Bristol, the butler, says, um, you know, when the house dies, I die with it. And so it just yeah, clearly the house is alive or something similar. And that's why Mr. Usher doesn't want her to leave. Um, but well, it's not. It's exactly funny you mentioned that line. Yeah. Because I was never thinking vampirism. Mm-hmm. What I was thinking is because, you know, they both aren't eating very much. They're eating gruel, yeah. whatever. I thought Bristol was poisoning both of them oh. so that he can get ownership of the house. Oh, that would have been interesting. So, so this whole time I'm thinking there's, there, he's slowly poisoning them because she's kind of lackadaisical you know she doesn't you know she's in bed a lot she doesn't do much she tends to she tends to pass out at a moment's notice you know she's always being carried back to her room right um so and you know he's such a hypochondriac where he's you know feeling and touching everything um i thought maybe he was getting poisoned so my so at the end, when uh, Philip was going to leave the house and then Bristol offers him coffee, I'm like, fuck, he's going to poison Philip. <laughs> but that was never the case. Right. But I was sure that it was going to be one of those, like, the butler wants the house. He's been there for 60 years. Yeah. Um, that, that was my, that was my, uh, 
that was my storyline in my own head right. as I'm watching it. No, so I was astute. sure the butler was going to do it. Yeah, I like that. It's very astute. But I uh, definitely didn't get that. But I no, it's, that's a very interesting idea. Very cool. Um, yeah. I was like 100% with Winthrop. Um, so we find out that, you know, the, the family members are in a crypt in the basement and both the siblings have a casket for themselves down there and they'll be placed there when they die. Um, but I was 100% with Winthrop and thinking that that has really nothing to do with him and Madeline. Like, there's no reason that she shouldn't be able to leave the house yet until this point. And then mm-hmm. we get what I would consider probably the big, the first big twist of the film and one that, that genuinely surprised me is she dies or we think she dies at least um and i thought that was really really well done um you know is and it just it begged the question again is this an evil house or a self-fulfilling prophecy um and i you know and i think that that question remains at the heart of it and uh that's what drives it and that's what made it interesting from here on out because i like the first half of the movie but i think i like it from here on out even more because it's mm-hmm. just it's, it picks up from here on out and i like that yeah and i'm not sure what catalepsy is i i had no I, idea I, I, when she was, I mean obviously before. i got it when they were talking but i didn't never heard of it before yeah it's it's something like i i, I didn't know is it, what is it cows is there a cow in the film that i maybe missed or something <laughs> maybe she's a cow in real life right you know who knows yeah. um but yeah that's that seemed very uh out of out of the blue mm-hmm. And it's interesting because they mention like, like the word catalepsy is in the short story, but oh really? It doesn't play out in the same way as maybe it. I don't think it plays out in the same way though. But they do mention that word. That word specifically is in the short story, but it's not as blatant okay. in the short story as it is played up here. I guess I would say. But, okay. Yeah. Um. So we, we you know we get a ton of. of the, the, almost the entire film is static camera shots. And then all of a sudden, we get this one moving camera shot at Madeline's funeral. And I thought it was like just so out of left field compared to the rest of the film. And I thought it looked really good. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not a steady cam because that wasn't around back then. But, you know, probably just moving on pipes and, uh, you know, entering the the funeral. Uh, that... I don't know. It just it's it struck me because it was so different from anything else we've seen um, in the movie up to that point. Did you catch that at all? Actually, I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I still mesmerized by all the colors right, and stuff. Yeah. It's only during the second uh, viewing of the film where I was looking at like the different static shots mm-hmm. and like the reversal, yeah. you know, and how the Corman wanted to introduce a lot of depth in the film. Okay. So you had you know one scene early in the film, you've got. Uh, You've got Roderick sitting down by a, by a fireplace. Uh, so when he's facing the camera, you've got, you know, an over the shoulder with Roderick. Mm-hmm. Then you've, uh, pardon me, a Philip. Then you got Roderick in the chair. And then you had like, a uh, something on the mantle of, of the, uh, of the fireplace to show different depths, mm. three different depths in the same yeah. shot. And how he did that a lot in the film back and that's forth. And, uh, I, that's why I kept trying to catch right. that, but I even noticed, I can't say I noticed that, uh, during the okay. funeral scene. Yeah. But I thought it was, um, and then kind of the other moment that struck me and I thought was, again, just genuinely shocking to me. She moves her hand. I'm like, at first I was like, oh, she's breathing. Like, really? They couldn't mm-hmm. just use a static shot there. So it didn't like look like she was breathing. And then all of a sudden her hand moves and I was like, holy shit. And then 
fucking Usher just reached. He's like, oh, shit, reaches up and closes the casket. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Like, that that was probably, and I wrote down, like, that was likely my favorite moment of the film up to this point. Um, it just creeped me out. I'm like, holy shit, like, not only is she alive, but he knows she's alive and is trying to hide it. And oh, and then actually, I wrote this down as being my favorite part. Uh, the zoom in, the camera zooms into her name on the coffin, and we kind of hear heavy breathing. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the scream. God, that was so well done. I thought that was just fucking fantastic. And it really, it's at that point where you realize that Vincent Price or Roderick Usher is the mm-hmm. villain of the film. But at the same time, he doesn't consider himself being a villain. Right. He's doing what's right to not. Um, expand the plague exactly. of the house of usher He's trying to stop so, the house of usher right exactly but then again is it all in his mind or is it a real thing right but i mean isn't that always the case yeah. you know depending on your viewpoint you're either the hero or the villain you know if you were a nazi yeah. the americans were the villain you know and vice versa so i mean yeah it's sure it's very it's a lot deeper than i would have anticipated and i, and I love that about it there's just more to yeah, it and, and then you I think you realize that at the end of the movie, you know, he was right because the house does implode. Yes, exactly. Um, but again, you know, because of the fire, it's not because of the spirits in the house. But mm-hmm. you leave that to your own interpretation, you know. Right. It could be that the house is finally, you know, everybody's dead. So the house is going to get buried. Mm-hmm. Or if it's just, you know, house, fire, swamp land. It right. just goes under. Yeah. It's, uh, it's up to your own interpretation. Exactly. Um, so then obviously we find out that, you know, she has this cataleptic seizure, which I didn't know what that was until later. Um, but I love how he finds that out, you know, having that conversation with the butler and the butler kind of lets it slip a little bit and he just freaks out and he goes crazy trying to see if she's alive. And he's he's acting a little screwy as well, Mm -hmm. you know, where he starts to say something and like, oh no, sir, I said nothing, you know? So that's what I'm thinking, you know, the butler did it just because he's being so weird, you know? But um, he just really loves the, the, the Usher family. Exactly. Yeah. It's a dedication you don't see much these days. Right. Um, and then she's they open the, the casket. He finally gets to the casket and she's not there. Again, threw me for a fucking loop. Um, mm-hmm. But what really – what I was really blown away by here was how well Mark Damon, you know, Mr. Winthrop, handled these emotional scenes. I thought he just fucking killed it, man. I, I, I bought into him 100%. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, he was the hero of the film mm-hmm. from start to end. Couldn't do anything wrong. Right. Had great hair. I don't he know did. how much he did. pomade was in that right. hair, but man, I could never duplicate what he's got. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he is the full-fledged you know, knight in shining mm-hmm. armor trying to rescue Madeline from the tower. Yep. And uh, almost got away with it. Right. Almost was able to get her out, but you know. And then... We get this almost uh, balletic fever pitch of a dream sequence. I was like, I, I was so taken aback by that. I was like, where did the hell did this come from? Well, the way I see it is that I, I kind of see it as how the house was maybe trying to warn Philip that, uh, yeah, we are mad. Mm-hmm. I think you should go. Yeah. Um, before shit hits the fan. Right. Um, but I found it interesting that it was filmed silently like the sounds the the sounds are not um they're put into post mm-hmm. like the scream right. and whatnot like you know he's acting where he's screaming but there's no sound yeah and i thought it was that was interesting to just mm. add to the 
uh, to the dreamlike feel right. of that scene. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, but no, I think you're absolutely right because after this, it feels like the house is getting to him. This evil is starting to kind of invade his body because after this, mm. you know, he uh, takes off. And then at one point, he kind of like uh, uh, finds his way back through all these hidden passages. And he finds his way back to one of the rooms that has the picture of the family members that you were talking about earlier. And the look mm -hmm. on his face, it's almost – it feels like he's hes the audience, right? It's – he sees this and it's unclear whether this is real or if this is just, you know, still figments of their imagination. And it's starting to affect him. And he's wondering himself, you know, is this place actually haunted or not? Like, what the fuck is going on? And I just feel like he's such a, a perfect representation of the audience throughout the majority of this. And that scene in particular worked out really well. At least it represented my feelings at that point. I, I can say that at least. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, though, is that we're, we're watching this, you know, from the point of view of Philip, because we don't know exactly where all these secrets come from in the house. Right. Um, and it's done on purpose. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to see here. I had notes on that, but my writing is uh, lesser than. Yeah. But pretty much. <laughs> but uh, let's yeah, I, I can't find it. Mm -hmm. I can't find it. But we are, like, we have to um, imbue ourselves with Philip's character in this movie. Because right. we can't associate our our point of view to anybody else in the film. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, it, I had something, but I, I can't find it. That's fine. Um, yeah. At the end here, I mean, it looked, like, genuinely dangerous how close Corman had his actors to these live fl flames. Did they talk about that at all in the commentary track? Oh yes, they did. Okay. Yeah, apparently the uh, crew. Now, first of all, uh, the the crew and Corman got along really well together, but they got really excited to tear that place down with fire, um, it, to a point that when Corman did a few other pole films in England, um, the fire scenes are a lot more restricted. I think it's a pit in the pendulum. No, it's Master of the Red Death. There's also a similar fire scene in that film. It does not look okay. as good as this one because. Uh, uh, apparently, they had singed the roof of the studio or where they were filming. Um, yeah, the fire got real close. Now, there's one scene you'll see, uh, which looks like the, I guess, like maybe the grating uh, on the top of the house as it falls down. Okay. It's like planks of wood. Well, they actually uh, burnt uh, a barn. Either they found the burnt barn and they relit it or they burnt an old barn structure to get that shot and superimpose it into the scene involving the house. Okay. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, that, that fire was all real. It was all very close to the actors. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. I love that final shot because Corman sticks in the line, the last line from the short story over the final image of the house sinking into the fog. Um, I thought that was very nicely done. And it is the, as far as I remember from the film, the same line is what I read at the end of the short story. So I appreciated that. Oh, that's very cool. It's a good way to end the film. But like, just, just, you know, to, to add, Corman had Vincent Price in mind to be the star of this movie. Okay. And Price is such a pro that Corman didn't even have to direct Price in mm. his scenes that Price had the instincts for the character wow. that... Corman pretty much just held the camera. It had very little directing to do. That's how much of uh, a master that Price was. That's awesome. So I guess that goes back to earlier comments on how, you know, would we be in awe if we didn't know who Price yeah. was? And 
the answer is yes. I guess we <laughs> answered uh, that question with that comment. Right, uh, right. Yeah, he was real good in this movie. Cool. Any other uh, cool facts that you learned that you wanted to share? Um, let me see. Um, well, uh, Corman did mention because when the uh, Blu-ray started, it had the MGM logo. And then the AI local right after that. Mm. And he made a comment that it's funny now that MGM is before AI in a film because MGM was the biggest movie studio at the time and AI was the smallest indie studio at the time. Uh So he kind of found it amusing that they both held a title card before the movie started. So (laughs) that's kind of cool. Um, The opening scene when Philip is on his horse riding towards the house of Usher. Yeah. Um, he's actually writing, well, before it goes to the matte painting, obviously, of the house, but right. the woods that he's actually, uh, uh, writing in, um, it's actually a legit, uh, forest fire scene. Apparently, there was a fire in the Hollywood Hills prior to filming and scorched oh, wow. a whole bunch of, uh, of forest. So then Price, oh. probably not Price, Corman hears about this, got a few guys and like, hey, let's go film uh, this really quickly. So, He's actually uh, riding his horse in a burnt forest, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, it is. That's um, interesting. Apart from that, hair was shocking. Um, I think that's pretty much it, if I'm scanning my notes properly here. Okay. Oh, well, uh, Vincent Price, his lute playing, um, it's all fake. He had no idea how to play oh. the lute. which is funny because there's a scene where they're around the fire and he's playing and then philip goes oh that's really good i'm like what song is he listening to yeah (laughs) it wasn't a good song i thought so i thought this exact same thing i was like "Mm, yeah not very good but okay Uh, he's being very nice to the host exactly awesome cool so great so what are your final thoughts and your star rating for house of usher okay uh well I i enjoyed the film um, but going to today's sensibilities, it is a little slow. It's actually really slow. Um, it's, it's a, it's, I guess a gothic horror, even though it's not really gothic horror. It's got elements of gothic horror, just pretty much the castle and maybe some skeletons. Um, but it, it is a slow film. Uh, the action scenes aren't very actiony they're they're quick they're like quick time um scenes in a video game you know you hit x to jump out of the way that's pretty much the extent of the action so it's a bit mm-hmm. of a talker um i'll admit i was at times i kind of glance at my phone which is a big faux pas um so i like there's nothing bad with the film um i just don't see myself watching this I, Again, anytime soon, unless I need to show it to someone. Um, so I don't think there's much rewatchability for myself. Again, I'm not huge into Hammer films or, you know, this, this, that's what I'm excited about for this Corbin post cycle is because I've got these films for years now. I still haven't watched them yet. Um, so it's not a film that I'm going to th- throw in the player right off my shelf just because I'm in the mood for, I can't see myself mm-hmm. being in the mood for this very often. Um, but it's still very well made. Um, it's beautiful transfer. Um, I'm going to give this, mm, I'll give this two and a half out of four. Perfect. Excellent. Yeah. I'm, I'm basically in agreement with, you know, house of usher is the definition of a slow burn, but 
once the twists start coming, it really picks up and becomes something really interesting. Um, it offers up the question of sanity and doesn't really give a clear answer until the very end. And as we've been talking now, I guess you could even make an argument that it, it kind of leaves that a little more gray than I initially anticipated. Um, but I like that Corman and, and Mathis keep the audience guessing until kind of the end of this. Um, I'm not entirely sure why, or I'm not entirely sure I understand why Madeline turns into this subhuman thing at the end, but I feel like you helped kind of explain that away in terms of maybe it's not subhuman or, you know, it's just her going stark raving mad. Um, but either way, um, I wasn't really questioning it too much while watching it, so I can't really fault it for that. Um, and it makes enough sense either way in the context of the film. So, you know, I'll give that a pass, but I was really surprised by the acting. Vincent Price, he just dominates the screen with his presence. Um, and even though he's playing this incredibly meek character here with Mr. Usher and opposite him, Mark Damon is Mr. Winthrop, who I thought was just fantastic. He handles these over the top emotional scenes with wonderful sincerity and it really drives home his love for Madeline. Um, Madeline and Bristol, the other, only other two actors in the entire film, they do a great job as well. Um, frankly though, Madeline, she kind of plays one note throughout this entire thing. Um, so we don't get to see a whole lot of range from her. Um, but Harry Ellerby as Bristol, the butler character, he gets to do a lot more and he does it really well. Um, so my, my first taste of Roger Corman's directing is a lot stronger than I anticipated because yeah, looking through his filmography, like I did, I, I don't, I hadn't seen any of his films that he's directed. I've never watched them from start to finish. Like I've seen parts of Piranha. Um, but you know, that's, that's pretty much it. And he didn't even direct Piranha. That was a Joe Dante film. So, oh, it, but it was his, uh, production yeah, company. production company. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, you know, if you can get through the, the slow beginning house of Usher, it definitely tells a story that's worth seeing. So I'm giving house of Usher three out of four stars. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So good start. Good start to yeah. our, uh, our post, like our, uh, Corman post cycle here. I think so. Excellent. So before we sign off for the evening, let's uh, move over to the round 35 of the Besting the Backlog Challenge, where we try to conquer our personal backlogs one week at a time. So as a reminder for this feature, each of us takes a look at the other's unwatched pile, be it their home video collections or one of their streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Instant Video, or Vudu, and picks one film the other hasn't seen yet and challenges them to watch that film before the next podcast, where they then give a quick review of the film. So just as a recap, Mark, a few weeks ago, uh, well, actually, what, six weeks ago now, I gave you Detention from 2011 yes. to watch. And last week, I chose Eaten Alive from 1976 as an homage to, to Toby Hooper. So, oh. Mark, go ahead and talk about Detention. Oh, okay. Um, well, Detention, uh, so... It is confirmed. I had seen part of this before. Okay. Um, I remember being at my buddy Pat's again. Usually end of the night, had a few beers, popping a flick. I remember the opening of the movie and then nothing because I had <laughs> I had fallen asleep. Um, <laughs> this movie is different than <laughs> than a lot of slasher films. Um, it almost it feels like a spoof. Of slasher flicks like Scream and I know what you did last summer, but it's not slapsticky like this, like movies like Scary Movie are. Right. It's more self, like almost kind of self deprecating in a way where, you know, they're, t 
the, the characters are talking, bringing the fourth wall and talking to us and kind of know things are going to happen, but then can't stop it and just go with the flow and then react. I, it's a hard category. It's a hard film for me to categorize, to be honest. Like, okay, it's, it's an, it's, it's a horror comedy. Um, but is it more comedy than horror? Like, I don't know. It's such a weird film. So, you know, so you've got kids getting killed um, after. So, okay. So there's this <laughs> horror movie, which I kind of want to see called Cinderella, which is a bit of a spoof <laughs> of the Saw films in a way. But then you've got uh, the scream elements. There's, I know what you did last summer elements. It's weird. It, it, think 90s slasher films to early 2000s slasher films. Mm-hmm. Put it into a ball, bounce it against a wall, make it hit the floor, and this is the tension. Mm-hmm. But with pop culture up the wazoo, like lots of pop culture from like video games to like 80s movies. There's a Star Trek reference in it. There's Back to the Future stuff. Um, it's weird, but it's funny. It's a spoof, but it's not making fun of. It's It's kind of like a... I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And, you know. To be honest with you, I kind of have to watch this again. Yeah. Because I just don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, right. I really have no... I, for an audio podcast, this kind of sucks because it's just me looking at the back of the Blu-ray case right now. Um, <laughs> I really don't know how to categorize this any better, but I don't think I can do any worse of a job. And that's the tension. It's really well, good, but it's bad at the same time. <laughs> it doesn't know what what it wants to be, but it's everything at once. Well, that is <laughs> fucking deep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Mind blown. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird flick. I, I think it was very funny, um, but it's also very stupid at times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got weird casting. Like, why is poker player Daniel Negreanu playing a morning show host? So I'm thinking, was this filmed in Toronto? But then I'm looking, and it says it's a U.S. Uh, it's a country of release is U.S. Um, hmm. Dane Cook surprised me as the uh, as the um, principal of the of uh, of the school where the film is based yeah. in. Um, but again, I guess this is his during his rise to fame before his 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 fall from grace. And then, <laughs> oh, and then what else is weird? It's that whole Freaky Friday body swap stuff. So you got body swapping, mother and daughter. You've got time traveling, stuffed bears. It's a weird fucking flick. That's why I, is this is this is like if I had to if I had to slap some quantum physics onto a disc, I think this is what it would look like. Like I, <laughs> this is matter and antimatter. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I, I'm, I'd be surprised if this doesn't melt in my hands right now. But then it'll come back to uh, on my shelf. It's weird. Yeah, it's a weird movie. Do I, I recommend it? Yeah, because it's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's so fucking. It, it's a weird film. It's weird. I wish I, I would, could help you, but it's been so long since I've seen it. I just I only thing I can tell you right now is that I gave it a seven out of ten on IMDb, but I don't remember much about it from that point on. Yeah, it, it's it's far from mind blowing, uh, mm-hmm. but it's it's also still quite. It, it's as. It's clever, you know? It's a clever yeah. film. Um, it's hurting my brain right now. Um, I, I, I think my brain is eating itself, trying to understand what I'm trying to say. I can't. Um, the sound of me vomiting might be a way to... No, that wouldn't work. 
Plus, I don't have a bucket. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? It, it's, it's, I think it's, you've it's, perfectly embodied uh, everything that the directors of Detention were trying to go for. I think it's, it's just, everything it's and nothing at the same time. Exactly. There it is. Yeah. How many stars so, do you give this everything and nothing? Man, I should give it four and zero. I was just going to say that four. And- I'm going to actually give it two and a half. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to give Good it two enough. and a half out of out of four. Perfect. So, Excellent. I'll, I'll go ahead and put show. you out of your misery and I'll, I'll take over from here. Oh, please. <laughs> I hurt. Oh, man. All right. Yeah, so I chose Eaten Alive. Um, you know, I've owned Eaten Alive for a little while now, um, and it's one that uh, I've been wanting to watch for a bit. I love the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came out two years before Eaten Alive, and I like its sequel, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. But I don't like post Poltergeist at all. Um, in fact, I'd go far so far as saying that I really dislike Poltergeist. But really? yeah, I I just don't like it at all. Huh. Um, but as for Toby Hooper's filmography, that's the extent of what I've seen to date. So, you know, in honor of his memory, since he passed away before recording the last episode, I decided I give Eaten Alive a shot. Um, I own the Arrow Blu-ray, which looks really good if you are a fan of the film. Unfortunately, though. I can definitely not be marked amongst those that are fans of this film. So, Eaten Alive uh, tells a story about a redneck weirdo from Texas who runs a, like, hotel-slash-zoo hybrid, I think? Um, And he has this giant crocodile that likes to eat whatever's in its path. So, a family stops by, and they have this encounter with the croc that costs the little daughter her small dog. So they decide to stay in the hotel for a little bit until things settle down. Well, the the crazy owner makes their stay a difficult one. And uh, I guess I'll leave it there so I don't spoil it for anyone. Okay. Uh, frankly, though, like the story is about as weak as it gets. And it's really – it's it's just pointless, honestly. I feel like Hooper had this idea about a man-eating crocodile and did whatever it is that he had to do to get that on film. Uh, and power to him, but it just didn't work for me. It takes a long time. Um, and you really feel like you're you're going to get some much earlier on, but there is some nudity toward the end of this movie, and nice. I will say it is it is worthwhile because they are gorgeous and the nudity is fantastic. But otherwise, there uh, there isn't really a good payoff at the end of this thing that makes it worth sitting through. Um, what's interesting about Eating Alive though is that you get a pre Freddy, uh, pre Freddy Krueger Robert England. Okay. Um, and he plays this like just incredibly unlikable cowboy character, but he does a really good job with it. Um, and really, though, Judd, the hotel owner, um, he does a fantastic job as well. That's he's played by or uh, Neville Brand plays Judd, and uh, he's fantastic. Like I genuinely believed he was um, absolutely batshit fucking crazy, um, and that's probably the best compliment I can give this movie. Um, otherwise, it just felt poorly paced pointless and just boring the majority of the film um also i thought it was strange but hooper uses some of the exact same shots from texas chainsaw massacre in this one uh for example the bad guy in this like waves his weapon over his head and dances around a little bit exactly like leatherface does with the chainsaw and i thought that was just strange to see so many like different tiny small things taken directly from his first film and that was just weird to me but, unfortunately, Eaten Alive, it, it leaves me two for four when it comes to Hooper's filmography, but I'll keep trying. So, I'm going to give Eaten Alive one and a half out of four stars. Have you seen this one? Okay. 
No, I haven't. Do you own it by honest, any chance? No, I actually, I don't think okay. so. It doesn't sound familiar to okay. me. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Lee Hooper fan. No, like I like Poltergeist a lot, mm-hmm. but okay. is it a Spielberg movie? Da da da, you know? Yeah, it's um, very. It's really a Spielberg movie. I'm not the biggest fan of Texas. Okay, um, I do like the. I do like. Him. Yeah, and, I like uh, the remake arguably better. Is it what's the other one? Is it Life Force with the with the female yes, vampires? Life Force. That yeah, one wasn't bad. And uh, didn't he do spontaneous combustion? Or am I out to lunch? Um, I, that one does not ring a bell. But me, uh, looking looking through, I don't. I yes, he did. Nineteen ninety. I didn't mind combustion. that one, but that's a lot because of Brad Dourif. And you know what? <laughs> the Mangler is pretty badass. It's okay. actually pretty good for a movie about industrial uh, uh, washing machine, <laughs> an evil industrial washing machine with Robert Unglin sure. and a fucking awesome boozy Ted Levine. Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> that one's pretty good. And you know, I've I heard just, that yeah. Toolbox Murders from 2005 was terrible, but I've not seen it. I have it on DVD. And and Jin from 2013. It sounds almost exactly like Poltergeist reading the description. An Emirati couple return home from a trip and discover that their new apartment has been built on a site that is home to some malevolent beings. It's like hmm, that sounds poltergeisty. Very, poltergeist, yeah. That's, that's very but, poltergeisty. Yeah. Have you seen Salem's Lot? Oh, you what? No, I haven't. Oh, I'm I've surprised you said seen, you like that book. Love the book. I've never seen the TV movie. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh, on my list. Yeah. So, oh well, I tried. So for this week. Obviously, we'll be swapping movies from here on out until Ash gets back. So, uh, yeah, uh, I will tell you what you're going to watch for next week. I, I'm hoping you haven't watched it. It's in. It's in, I knew, It's new to you, at least. I know okay. that it's new to okay. your uh, collection, yeah. and it's one that I've actually thought about purchasing multiple times, and what, for whatever reason, just haven't. And uh, you picked it up during that last sale at uh, whichever company was having that sale that you picked Kino up. Lover? Gigantic. Yes, Kena Lober. Okay. I'm going to have you watch 1988's Miracle Mile. Ooh, okay. Have you seen that one? No, I have not. And I'll be posting okay. a thing about it on Saturday. But no, I have not seen that, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching it. Perfect. You Did you watch it for your challenge? No. Nope. No, nope, I have oh, not okay. watched it for my challenge. No, so okay. I'm, I'm past the letter M already. So, uh, and whatever I do for the podcast in this capacity will not influence any movies for the uh, for the challenge. So, if, gotcha. if it was my letter M pick, I'd have to pick another letter M. So that's that's how I'm rolling. Um, Perfect. So, I mean, it sounds Miracle interesting. Mile. It looks like a good movie. It, so I hope you like it. It does. To be honest, I know absolutely nothing about it. I know it involves yeah, I just, a nuclear blast, I think, or, or something. Right, I know yeah. Anthony Edwards is in it. That's it. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that's pretty much my extent of it. And the and the cover was intriguing to me. And so that's why I was considering buying it. But yeah, so I'm interested to see if you like it because see, see if it's one I need to add to my list to purchase or not. But And I, I just saw on Twitter prior to the podcast starting that uh, Kino Lorber is going to have a Halloween movie sale. From oh, like very the 6th good. of October till the 26th or some stupid thing. So cool. I'm afraid because that's – Right. Because, oh, man. So They attacked up, you last time. They uh, left you for dead. You know what, though? Oh, man. If that's what Left for Dead feels like, it feels pretty good. 
<laughs> yeah, so so those who who haven't checked the Instagram, I got twenty two flicks on my last Kino Lober order. Yeah, but they had a sale where they were, the blueies were from like seven ninety eight to thirteen. The most expensive was thirteen ninety eight, and that was the uh, Canon musical, the Apple, <laughs> which I cannot wait to watch. Um, but yeah, so I man, at one point I had fifty four movies in my in my basket, and I was even on the last page of the of the movie list. Wow. They got some good stuff. So mm. I'm excited for this next sale because I'll probably buy a few more. But at Wasteland uh, next week, uh, DVD Diabolique's going to be there. And there's another DVD retailer that is usually not there. They're going to be there oh, as okay. well. So awesome. I between that and then you got Severn Films and Vinegar Syndrome, I'm probably going to throw down five bones on Blu-rays alone. Ah. <sighs> Yeah. That's what that overtime was good for this past six weeks. Word, because fuck lands a credit, right? Exactly. Exactly. Hell yeah. yeah. Excellent. So, yes. do you know what I'm going to watch for next week? I do. Or for next episode? I Excellent. do. What am I going to watch? Well, since you gave me a horror comedy, I'm going to give you a horror comedy back. Oh, okay. And I'm going to give you 2015's Gravy. Oh, okay. So, the blur. Interesting. The blur. Scream Factory release. Yeah. So, it's all Hollow's Eve, and a trio of costume misfits with a very special dietary requirement seizes a Mexican cantina and forces the staff to engage in a late night of gaming, food, and libations. The only caveat is what's on the menu. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Um, now, I think you're one of the few people who actually praised this movie, <laughs> if I remember right. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen this. Oh, you haven't? I don't oh, think oh, so. For some reason, I thought you talked about this one in the past. Maybe uh, maybe I'm just crazy. Obviously, uh, you didn't if you don't remember. No, I have no recollection uh -huh. of this whatsoever. And even like just okay. the, the cover art, I would probably yeah. never watch this. <laughs> I know. You know what? I bought it because it was like $5 on a Scream Factory sale. Oh, okay. Like a year ago or so. And so I picked it up because it was super cheap. Well, sorry, Silverman's in it. So it's, it could be yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, and we'll and the girl Excellent. Precious is in it, so that's going to be good. <laughs> that's random as hell. Yeah, and the guy who's one of the guys in uh, Westworld, he's in it. Well, there you go. So there you yeah, it could, could be good. Probably not. Sutton Foster, who played Fiona in uh, Shrek the Musical, she's in it, so that's oh, cool. Oh, maybe she'll get naked. Probably not, but let's hope. Yeah, my, my toes are crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So next week I will be watching 2015's Gra or not next week, next podcast. Yes. I'll be talking about 2015's Gravy, mm -hmm. and you will be talking about 1988's Miracle Mile. Oh. Fantastic. Good. So that is going to do it for episode 105. Woo. So remember that uh, we will not be releasing an episode next Friday, mm -hmm. but we'll be back on Friday, October 6th. With our review of The Pit and the Pendulum from 1961. Then, we're back on our weekly production schedule, so look forward to that. And as always, if you have any questions for us here on the podcast, please hit us up on Twitter using that hashtag, InFilmWeTrust. And uh, we'll do all our best to answer all those questions on the podcast. Again, hit us up on Twitter with that hashtag, InFilmWeTrust. And if for some reason you're not on Twitter, call us at 1-302-448-TALK. Or email us at contact at cinefessions.com. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, 
or wherever else it is that you might be listening to us. Those positive reviews help us get more listeners, which is always the goal. So we really appreciate you time taking the time to leave those reviews. And another reminder, you can always reach us on social media. We love interacting with you guys there. And again, if it's a social media platform worth being on, you can find us at Cinefashions. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you name it, we're there. Um, and Mark, remind our listeners where else we can find you online. Oh, okay. Well, you can find me on Instagram at uh, mnado02. That's M-N-A-D-E-A-U-02. Or on Twitter, which I'm rarely on, but uh, it's uh, Mark mm-hmm. with a C. So M-A-R-C underscore Nado. And uh, yeah. And you can also find me on Facebook at Mark Nado. If you add me on Facebook, though, let me know you're a listener and not some creepy bot who just wants sex. <laughs> oh, man. Very good. Yep, and you can find me on my personal Twitter feed at Simon1. That's P-S-Y-M-I-N-1. Mark, it was great to have you back. And you can tell that you're back on the show because we we uh, broached that two-hour mark. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and we only talked about one movie. So good for us. Yeah, I will watch 40 films by the time I'm the next episode records. So. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So I want to thank everyone for listening to episode 105 of the Cinefessions podcast. And remember, in film, we trust. We'll catch you next time. Yeah.